Hello and welcome back to another edition of The Alonzo Bet. We're your hosts. I'm Aaron. And I'm Sam. And we are coming to you today, March 3rd. The first episode that we've recorded when baseball is occurring all around us at all times. We had a pitchers and catchers report episode, of course, but now games have actually started. We are starting to smell the spring fever here in uh, Princeton, New Jersey, and we hope you guys are feeling it around the country. So today we told you guys we had a very special treat for you. I'm going to let Sam do the honors. We are continuing our installation into uh, division previews, giving you guys a breakdown of what's happening in each division. So Sam, tell us which division we'll be looking at in today's episode. So if you have not listened to our previous division preview episodes, first of all, go back and listen to them. But in week one, we previewed the NL West. In week two, we previewed the AL East. In week three, which is this week, we are going back to the NL we're going to the one divisional region that we haven't done yet. So that's the NL Central for all you puzzle-loving folks out there. Uh, we're going to preview what I think is arguably the worst division in baseball. It's easy, certainly the easy most, to argue that. It's certainly the most up-for-grabs division in baseball. Uh, but before we start with our division preview, we promised you guys something else on our last episode, and that is that our resident fantasy baseball expert, Aaron Goodman, every week leading up to the start of the baseball season to your fantasy baseball drafts, will be giving you advice on how you can become champions this year. And you might ask, why do I care what Aaron Goodman has to say? It's because the kid's a winner. Every season, he's first, first. Second, first, I mean, he never stops winning. And listen, I don't, I, I'm not part of his league. I don't know if it's that everyone else in his league is, is a total schlub. They're not good. Or maybe it really is that this guy is that talented at fantasy baseball. Either way, why risk it? Listen to why what he has it? to say. And so what, 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 what's your wise sage words for our listeners this week, Aaron? I just want to say, Sam, thank you for that incredible introduction. And I know that there are many, many people who have played fantasy baseball against me out there who would think that that is totally unwarranted. Um, but nonetheless, we persist and we continue to pick up dubs. So I'm going to give you guys a little insight here. You know, I kind of plotted out a little course to get you guys ready for the draft. So last week I talked about kind of really taking control of those first two rounds. So crucial for constructing any fantasy roster. Today I'm going to talk about winning those middle rounds. And primarily we're going to focus round five-ish to eight-ish. So like pick 60 to pick like 96 in a 12-team league, something like that. Um, and this is a very, very important part of your draft. So I just want to talk about um, kind of direction to take and approach in this area. And then we'll talk about just a couple of players really quickly. So when you're approaching this middle area of the draft, this is where you have to see your team start to shape up. Okay. Your team needs an identity. Are you going to try to go across the board? Obviously that's the most powerful strategy. Uh, in a categories league, of course, points, there's only one strategy, amass as many points as possible. Um, it, but in a category in a roto league, are you going to try and go across the board? That's the most powerful, but it's the hardest. Are you going to stack some areas and totally punt on, let's say, saves? Um, there's a lot of ways to go about this. And in these middle rounds is where you really solidify the type of team you're going to have for that season. And the reason I say that is because 
in these middle rounds, let me give you guys some names of people going around here. Javi Baez, uh, average at pick 60 here. Let me, uh, let me sort by the correct folder here. Um, but you're getting guys like Javi Baez. You're getting guys like J.D. Martinez in this area. Some people are even seeing guys like Jose Barrios drop to this area. Still very, very, very strong um, in terms of performance at that price. Um, and there's a lot of opportunity here for you guys to kind of start to figure out what you want to see. So let's talk a couple players. Can, can, and I, can, can, can I ask a question before you please, keep going? Aaron? Please. So, so it seems like a lot of the guys you brought up are sort of guys with a large track record of success, but who sort of are coming off either injured or down seasons in 2020. So do you feel like that it, like that player type is sort of the type is, is where the value is to be had in these, in these rounds, or is it more, is it sort of a combination between that and looking for up and coming undervalued players? That's a, that's a Sam, amazing, amazing question. Cause I, that actually speaks directly to my point. So in a normal year, you do see a solid mix here of guys with upside, but concerns guys coming off injury, but who are superstars um, guys who maybe had a little bit of a down season. Typically, it's a mix. What you're seeing this year is such a strong overreaction to performances in 2020, which, mind you, is a sample that is not stati not statistically significant enough for StatCast to get StatCast data on those guys. And people are just buying into this so hard. So it just so happens that these rounds this year for a 12-person league, so picks, average picks, ADP, 60 to 96, something like that, you are stacked with guys exactly like that. You have your Cor Corbin Burns, you have your, Ma your Michael Confortos, your Sonny Grades, your Kesson Kiras, your Javi Baez's, your Eugenio Suarez's in here, Jose Barrios, Castellanos, Goldschmidt, to Nelson Lemets in here, but for fantasy purposes, I'm arguing against him. Nelson Cruz, J.D. Martinez, Jeff McNeil, Mac Muncie, Zach Wheeler, Jose Altuve, Yoan Moncada, Anthony Rizzo. Like, this is an amazing, amazing group that honestly should not be this low because when you look above them, there's a lot of Kyle Tuckers and Luis Robert's. Um, and I guess, you know, Whit Merrifield makes sense. Tim Anderson shouldn't be above a lot of these guys. Starling Marte is a question mark in my mind. Um, Kenta Maeda, Vlad Guerrero Jr., Josh Hader is above that. And I'm not even sure what role he plays this season. So there's, there's I think, a big discount in this area, especially for position players, but to an extent for pitchers. And again, there's a lot of ways that you can go here. There are those guys that you can take a shot on them taking the next step. I, I look at Glaber Torres. I look at Brandon Lau as amazing options to kind of take another step in their career and be really, really productive fantasy players. You can decide that you're going all in on relievers and you can take some combination um, of a Roldis Chapman here and Edwin Diaz maybe taking a shot on him if you're later in the round. I wouldn't take him, you know, towards the top of all that. But there's really um, a lot of opportunity here. So let me talk about a couple guys that I'm really liking in these rounds. Um, I am really liking the price you're getting on Michael Conforto right now. Um, oh, Michael I, lo I love to hear that. I mean, let me just tell you, though, like Michael Conforto going at pick 66 
is something like the 18th, 19th outfielder off the board. And this is a guy who's just cracked 27, 28, 33 home runs between 2017 and 2018. Does so with a batting average, you know, somewhere in the 250 range, but with an OPS that has approached, you know, 900 in the half season he played in 2017 and was 856 in 2019. It's a guy who... I don't know how much I like Springer over him. Sure, Springer's got the steals, maybe, but only maybe, right? Like, I'm not sure Springer's going to continue running, and Springer is going way earlier than him. I don't know how much I like, I, you know, well, I definitely don't like Tim Anderson over him, but honestly, I don't know how much I like a guy like Marcelo Zuna over him. Like, Conforto certainly is a safer option than Marcelo Zuna, and if Conforto hits 33 homers, what's Ozuna going to do for you? You know, uh, Conforto's in a better lineup this season. I love Conforto there. I think he's a great value. Another guy who I really like and who actually we're going to talk about a little bit more later is I really think Sonny Gray is kind of a steal down here. You know, he's right around Steven Strasburg. So if you believe in Strasburg's health, that's definitely a better option. But there's so many question marks that you have to make that decision. And this actually, again, speaks to what kind of team you're constructing. If you already took two great starters, you can take Strasburg and be like, I'm either going to have the best rotation in this league or maybe I kind of burnt my seventh pick or something. And that's an option you can make if you like guys on the board later but Sonny Gray's a little safer he was really good in 2019 followed it up in 2020 with something good and he's always had that potential so I love him and then I gotta give one more uh I already mentioned Jose Barrios who's amazing down here as well um, but I gotta give one more up for my boy Cattell Marte in Arizona who no no question that he has some concerns about him right we're a little concerned that that 2019 breakout came out of absolutely nowhere um and the 2020 follow-up was a little bit lackluster sure everybody's worried about that but the fact of the matter is 2020 was you know a very short season 195 plate appearances for him i'm not really backing that far off of his 2019 performance which included 32 home runs 92 ribbies 10 steals and that's gonna put him right up around the you know Corey Seager Alex Bregman Luis Roberts of the world if that's the type of season he has so um I, I like Cattell Marte and he's on the really low end of that too so again I just want to urge you guys you have to come into a draft prepared. Otherwise, you're relying on luck. You're relying on the right guys being left, that you're looking at the right guys and taking the right guys. You have to know what the possibilities are coming into these rounds. You have to know what your team might look like when these rounds come by and be prepared to pivot and make the correct decision so you can fill out a roster that can compete. Because at the end of the day, you don't need the best players in the league. You need to put a team out that either scores the most points or ratchets up the most categories week by week. It's a it's a grind and it's a fight in day to day fantasy baseball. So put yourself in a position to stay in that fight and not get knocked out in the first round. Again, if you guys have you know any questions, uh, anything you're wondering, any draft prep you're doing, a player that's absolutely confusing you, uh, reach out to us. Tweet at us, DM us, at the Alonzo Bet on Twitter. Find us uh, with an email if you're one of the older generation, the Bet at gmail.com. Uh, and we'll get to all those fantasy and more questions as they come in. But with that, Sam, I don't want to take up too much time because we do have to wallow in the pig pen that is the NL Central. So any other fantasy questions from you before we go? 
No, I mean, I, th- I think uh, I came out of this just ready to crush the, the mid- middle parts of my draft, which isn't necessarily going to occur. But if one does, then uh, I, I'm going to urge you to find yourself a fantasy baseball league. I think you could get into it. We'll see. We'll see. Maybe I might. I was thinking about getting into daily fantasy this year, but I think that's a different beast. D- different beast altogether. But we yeah. could give it a shot. So with that, let's just go directly into our NL Central preview. We're we're, we're trying to keep things a little shorter for you guys today. We always say that, but we really are. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I I mean before we give our orders, let let's see if you agree with me on on this characterization. I think this division, the winner is going to win fewer than 90 games. I think it could be any one of four teams, not because any one of them is great, but because none of them are great. There's one team that I think has no shot in it. I think you probably agree. Yeah, I agree all around the board uh, with the exception of like, if I had to pick the win total for the team that wins this division, it's 92. All right. So you, you think it like one team just has like a, you know, a, a, a very overperforming year and wins it. So, yeah. So with much. that, let's, let's go through our, our order of, of these teams. And again, I, I, I made an order. I don't feel very strongly about it, but I, I split some hairs and I put these teams in some order. Let me tell you the order I put them in. Okay. I have the Cardinals winning the division. Mm-hmm. I have the Cubs in second. I have the Brewers in third. I have the Reds in fourth. And uh, of course, I have the Pirates in fifth. Yeah, I have... Sorry, who'd you have third? I have the Brewers third. Uh, yeah, I have the Brewers second and the Cubs third. But other than that, I have the exact same thing. I see. Um, yeah. Okay. So I have Cardinals, Brewers, Cubs, Reds. I agree with you. Any one of these teams could win, but one of them will play decent baseball because here's the thing is that we were lampooning this division because both the NL West and the East have two teams better than any team in this division. That's right. And, 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 and the Phillies are basically the same as the rest of these teams. Well, I think the Nats, the Nats are better than them. Yeah, the Nats, the Nats and the Phillies both have a chance to be a hair better. Um, and but the thing is, is that all of these teams have some good aspects. They all have good major league players uh, for yeah, the most I th- part. I think that's certainly true. Um, so let's just get into them, and we can kind of dig into that statement a little bit further. So, um, Sam, what did you like about the Cardinals? So the Cardinals, my strength is actually uh, their defense. Um, And like Arenado and Paul DeYoung on the left side of the infield is obviously tremendous. I mean, Arenado could be the best defensive third baseman in the league. DeYoung plays a really good shortstop. Harrison Bader is a tremendous center fielder, one of the best in the league. Can you stay in the lineup, though, as bad as... yeah. Well, well, we'll talk about that. Goldie plays a good first. Yadi, of course. Goldie's a tremendous first baseman. Yeah. He's tailed off a little bit, but he's a, p- a previous multiple-time gold glove winner. He's a very yeah. good first baseman. Yadi, of course, quite old, but one of the best, if not like the best defensive catcher ever. Um, 
Yeah, probably like the Tom, best. Tommy Edmond can can play the outfield and second. Uh, yeah, so I just I think that they're a tremendous defensive team, and you know to to go along with that, you know Arenado is obviously an absolute stud. Goldie, I think, is going to have a bit of a bounce back. I still think he can hit. I'm high um, on Goldie. You know, the rest of their lineup has a lot of question marks, but I think, like, DeYoung is one of the more underrated guys in the league. Um, I'm glad you said that because he's actually my player to watch. We'll get to him in just a second. But I, I basically said the same thing, Sam. I said they're position players because I actually think the lineup as a whole especially compared to the rest of this division, is not bad. Like, yes, Yachty's a big question mark. Harrison Bader is a big question mark. Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson are both big question marks. So their whole outfield um, is a question mark, which makes for a tough lineup construction. But you kind of know what you're going to get from their infield, and you're feeling very good about it. They're playing good defense all around the diamond. The problem for me on them, Sam, and the reason that they're not just a good team is because their pitching is absolutely brutal. So Jack Flaherty, probably going to be very good, but definitely question marks uh, with him. You know, he had that 2019 half of the season that was tremendous. The other half was pretty good. Um, he was fairly good in 150 innings in 2018. Last year was kind of a blow up, and that's 40 innings. And I tell you guys, you know, I don't really care about 40 innings, but he's a young uh, guy. I'm not worried in the slightest about Jack Flaherty. Do I think he's definitely going to be a top 10 pitcher in baseball this year? No, but I think exactly, he's going to be a good pitcher. That's what they need to be a good team because when you look at the rest of their rotation, Kwong Hyung Kim, we know nothing about, basically. Adam Wainwright is so old, I cannot believe he's getting projected for 150 innings. Carlos Martinez, God, I love him. And if you have a flyer at the end of your draft, like maybe you should take him because he's a guy who's been a top 15 pitcher in baseball before. But a top 15 many, starter. Many moons ago. Well, I, I don't think 2017 is that many moons ago. Um, yeah, fair enough. But actually, it was 2018. I'm sorry. He's also, oh, that, wow, he's only 29. He's, he's quite young still, and there's no question that he's got stuff. You watch him come in as a reliever, and it's insane. He's just a nutcase. He's absolutely out of his mind. He cannot stay on the hill. Um, but, you know, if he can turn it around, and if Flaherty has a good season... And they need something out of Kim, who I really don't know that much about, but is projected for actually extremely good numbers. They've got a shot, but this rotation would make me nervous as a Cardinals fan. Mikolas is also interesting. Uh, he could be. I, I don't think you can. Um, uh, I don't think you can project too much out of Mikolas, which is honestly the only good thing is that they have him pegged as the number five starter. But I mean, he, yeah. he could definitely uh, eat innings. And also, he went like, I. 100 innings in 2018, 184 in 2019. Also, while their, their bullpen's not bad, but it's also not like. It's not incredible. But, it, but it's, it's the least of their. I, I'm more worried about their starters than their relievers. But it's not a, yeah. it's not a great bullpen. No, no, no. You're not thrilled um, about the bullpen, but it's not the area that is going to keep you up at night before the season. Who knows? When the season starts, the starters could deal and the bullpen could be a disaster and they still could lose the division. But that just speaks to how close the division is. So 
Sam, before we get to players to watch, I'm sure I'm almost certain you didn't pick this guy. And I do just want to take a second to talk about Arenado, if you don't mind. Yeah. I, I love to talk about great baseball players. So I think the big question here is, and what you'll hear from pundits, et cetera, because it's a, it's a tired question, but I, I just want to address it. Is leaving Coors Field going to hurt Nolan Arenado? Is he a good player? So those are two different questions, and you hear both of them posited sometimes. The question is, will it hurt his stats to leave Coors Field? Duh. You know, Barry Bonds would have had better stats in Coors Field. Like, it, it, it's not a question that it's going to hurt him. And to speak to that, his splits, he's a 322 home hitter in his career, a 260 away hitter in his career. He obviously finds some difficulty there. He has 140 of his homers to 99 home on the road. And, and again, he should have played about the same number of games in both situations. But I think we've talked about cores a little bit before. It's not even just that cores is a great park that makes these guys split so severe. For some people it is. But I think for the really great hitters, it has been documented over and over and over again that pitches move and come out of pitchers hands differently in Coors Field than they do anywhere else and it's it doesn't just hurt the pitchers the hitters get used to seeing those pitches over and over and over again in Coors Field and they struggle when they go on the road a little bit um I am not worried in the least about Nolan Arenado's production this year if I had to I would peg him for something in the 270 to 275 average ballpark uh something like a you know, 570 slugging percentage, uh, and he's probably going to jack, you know, 30 home runs. They're good for 95 RBIs. I, I just, he's a great hitter. He's just going to put those numbers up. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally agree with you. I think we've discussed it before on the podcast is that when players leave the Rockies, yes, their home numbers go down, but their road numbers almost always reliably go up because mm-hmm. of the effect that you just described, Darren. And I, I think a great recent example is is DJ LeMahieu, who everyone thought, everyone was so worried about leaving Coors and he's had the two best seasons of his career. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I'm not worried about Arenago at all. The Cardinals, again, stole from the Rockies, one of the <laughs> 10 to 15 best players in baseball. Like it's, it's not Insane. a question. Yeah. I have no worries about him. He's a stud. So um, who'd you pick to watch then, Sam? Who do you want to watch? Cause I got, I, I already blew my hand, told you mine's DeYoung, but I want to hear about yours first. Mine's uh Harrison Bader. Um, yeah. And Harrison Bader is again, a guy, like you said, the big question mark is, is can he stay on the field? Because, when he's on the field, he is one of the best defensive center fielders in the league. Just brings tremendous value with his glove to the point where if he isn't even a league average hitter, he's a big plus to have on the field. Like he's going to be a three to four win player just by being a league average hitter. Yeah. And Sam, so now the just question before is, you continue, his, his stats bear that out exactly. 2018 and 2019, almost the same number of plate appearances, 427 to 406. A one seven, a one oh seven WRC plus gives him a three six war, almost a four war, almost an all star caliber player. And uh eighty one WRC plus the following year, mostly driven by uh just lack of hard contact, brings his war down to two replacement level. Not re- replacement level zero. 
at average. Sorry, to average level for the MLB. Yeah. Um, and then 2020, he was actually back to a 113 WRC plus and had like one win in, in 50 games. Um, so now the question is, you know, the ISO shot up there and so did the K rate. I, I worry yeah. actually a little bit about his 2020. So, so, so now let, let, let's, let's sort of think about what, what Harrison Bather is as a hitter. Terrible K rate, seventh, seventh percentile. Doesn't hit the ball all that hard. 10%, 10th percentile exit velocity. Uh, he walks a decent amount, 67th percentile walk rate. And actually, he sells out for good contact. He has an 80th percentile barrel rate. So he's a guy who makes a lot of bad contact and misses, swings and misses a lot, but can also get some good contact in there, can, can get a decent number of barrels. So now the question is like, well, first of all, why is a guy who's as fast as him, 98th percentile on sprint speed, like rocking a sub 200 expected batting average in 2020. And it's because his launch angle, the last two seasons has been over 15 degrees on average. Now, when we talk about guys who hit the ball harder than Harrison Bader, like we talk about, well, they got to get the ball in the air, like, like Vlad, like man, if Vladdy had a 15 degree launch angle, mm-hmm. that would be great. Mm-hmm. But with Harrison Bader, I, I actually almost feel that he should bring that launch angle down a little bit. Like he's the type of guy with his speed that that if he can like take his barrels and like turn it into maybe a few more like line drives, hard hit balls, he can turn a lot of things into doubles. Uh, and maybe he can get that average up a bit better because he has decent plate discipline in terms of like drawing walks and stuff. Um so, like, I don't think Harrison Bader is going to be a guy that can hit 30 bombs in a season, but it kind of feels like his approach at the plate is that type of player. So I, I wonder if, if a big of a change of changing approach can turn him into a more consistent, like, 100, 110 WRC-plus guy whose defense really makes him a borderline all-star type player. Agreed. And Sam, I think the answer lies entirely in his batted ball profile. In 2020, he popped the ball up almost 13.5% of the time. That's a strikeout. Almost 11 in 2019. It's not just a strikeout. It speaks to, like, that's really high. A a good pop-up rate on a good hitter is five or lower. And like Joey Votto can go a whole season popping up once. Once, right. If he put... Even if he put half of that into ground balls, which typically you don't want, but for his for his profile, it's better if he could put half into ground balls and then split the remainder into line drives and fly balls, or I, even better if he could put it all in the line drives. Obviously, but yeah, he would. He suddenly becomes actually kind of a fearsome hitter. You know, he definitely knows how to barrel the ball. He's definitely getting good contact. If he could just trade some of those barrels for a slightly higher whiff rate and a better exit velocity like i I don't know i see it too sam and i'm always tantalized by it but we haven't seen it yet and the profile at this point is kind of scary a guy we've seen a little bit more from who is my player to watch uh is paul de who i think is criminally underrated in this league 
He's a tremendous, tremendous defensive shortstop, although outs above average don't love him. Um, the defensive metrics on Fangraphs and War do like him quite a bit. Oh, they liked him in 2019. Outs above average had him 97th percentile. But he was actually second percentile for the other two years, even when his defensive runs pre- uh, prevented was very good. That's interesting. But the big, the big question is his bat. So he Ks quite a bit. His walk rate's fairly low, but he definitely can hit for power. Um, and the reason I wanted to highlight him is not because I think his success is uh, focal to the success of the Cardinals. I don't believe that's necessarily the case. But I just wanted to, I was looking at shortstops to draft today. And I just wanted to point out that I think he is maybe the best bargain in this entire draft. So I'm going to just do a little exercise here where I compare Paul DeYoung to a guy who's getting drafted almost 100 picks sooner in Carlos Correa. And this is no hate to Correa, who's a good player, but I think he's one of the most overvalued players in this year's draft. I'm going to give you their Bat-X predictions. Bat-X is uh, one of the many... Um, forecasting models to project player performance. They have Paul DeYoung hitting 243 with a 345 on base and a 436 slugging. Compare that to 256 for Correa. So that's, you know, 10 points higher. 333 OBP though, so that's 10 points lower. And a 438 slugging, so that's exactly the same. DeYoung leads projected homers by two. He trails projected runs scored by four. He trails projected RBIs by one, and he leads projected steals by three. To me, those are almost identical players. Those are almost all within the margin of error of the of the bat X projection. So just going from this projection, which of course, you know, have its caveats. Sam and I have discussed in the past how projections are going to be particularly off this year because of um, the poor data they received from 2020. But if you're going to be honest with yourself, for all the players in the league, on average, they're going to do much, much, much better than you are going to do because they are using mathematical modeling. So, you know, just looking at those to give you some idea of where you might get value here, DeYoung is huge value. So um, definitely, if you have a guy you love at shortstop, go get him. But they're ha- getting DeYoung or even like Didi at 160 or something. There are some guys late in the draft uh, with talent, and DeYoung is one of those. So I hope we get a big year like 2017 from DeYoung. Uh, a lot of bombs, you know, a lot of ribbies, a couple stolen bases uh, cut down on those Ks. But uh, with that, Sam, I think we've talked the Cardinals to death here. Why don't we try uh, the Brewers? Just because I think I'm a little bit more excited about the Brewers than you are for the Cubs. Sure, let's do the Brewers. So here's the thing with the Brewers, and I'm just going to start off by kind of explaining how I got here. It involves a small discussion of the Cubs as well. The Brewers lineup is pretty boo-boo. Um, you know, Kesson Hura was awful last year. Obviously, yeah. Christian Yelich is good, but Lorenzo Kane is not that good anymore. And that basically means Christian Yelich is the only reliable offensive contributor in the entire lineup. The lineup is scary, and I understand that. But defensively, it is absolutely tremendous. And there is a lot of upside between Luis Urias, Kesson Hura, um, and Colton Wong 
who have all shown flashes of being quite good in the past. They even have a guy like Vogelbach, who remember the year they got Justin Smoke, and they turned Justin Smoke into an extremely valuable hitter for one year for some reason. Like, I see that in Vogelbach. So for me, I go and I look at them and I say, the lineup is super scary. The starters don't have any big names. Scary in a bad way, though, not, not scary in a good way. Yes, sorry, scary in a bad way. The starters don't have any super big names, but the relievers are really pretty stacked. And the starters have a lot, a lot of upside between Woodruff and Burns. So um, I just yeah, saw them. If anything, I'd say Woodruff is, is cer- he's not, certainly not a big name, but he was arguably the best pitcher in the entire National League last year. Uh, or sorry, actually Corbin Burns, uh, Corbin Corbin Burns Burns was, yeah. Yeah. Woodruff Uh, was one of the best pitchers in the national league the year before. Yeah. Yeah. Woodruff the year before. Sorry. Sorry. Corbin Burns last year. These are guys who, you know, are, are pretty good pitchers. Um, and they have a couple random guys to round them out, but they are kind of like the Rays, uh, in the sense that they have often found a way to win with very, very limited, equipment remember they kept making pushes with ben gamble in their lineup like how is that possible but they've always found a way and in a division this year that's just so bad there's no reason for me to believe that that is not more valuable than say the slight skill edge that i believe the cubs roster has here's the thing i feel like last year you were you also wanted to give the brewers some credit for like you know, getting it done a lot. And and you compare them to the Rays in that way. I, I did. And then they played, then they played 60 games, Sam. No, I, I'm, I'm not saying last year, like proves your, your statement wrong or anything. But basically what I want to say is that I think you're seeing two different things with the Rays and Brewers. I think with the Rays, you're seeing a team that knows how to turn, knows how to take, a limited number of resources and turn it into maximum production with the brewers. I think you're seeing a team that frankly just ran in like the top 10th percentile of their luck for a few years. And like that bears out and like, like just getting records way above their base runs expected record. And like just sort of seeing like random, random, like one year performances, like, you know, Eric Thames or Justin smoke, uh, that like kind of seem like one year mirages after. So like, I, I, I just, I don't, I don't buy the brewer magic is what I'm saying. I think you make a great point there, Sam. I, I think those all, those points are all super well taken. And that's definitely the argument against them. Even without the brewer magic though, you have to admit that their, their strength and let's kind of, um, you know, not delve too deep into this so we can give the Cubs the due credit they're due after our players to watch. But if you compare the strengths of overall roster, the lineup of the Cubs is far and away better. It's not even close. But the rotation of the Brewers is much better and the bullpen of the Brewers is is much better. And you put those together. The the bullpen's incredible. Like You put those together and like, they're kind of a toss up for me. So I believe they have a little magic. You don't, which makes sense why we have them in flip positions, but this is really tight. Oh yeah. And I, I don't, I'm not, I don't fault you for saying the brewers are better. In fact, I, I think it's totally defensible. I'm, I'm just saying, and like, I think you could flip flop any of these four teams and like, they're all practically the same. They're, they're Mm -hmm. teams with some good players 
distributed in different positions on their teams, but with a lot of flaws. Um, I, yeah, I, I just, I don't buy, I, if anything, I'm like, I feel like I'm bitter about the Brewers. I'm like, why does this team keep getting to, to make the play? <laughs> the Mets are better than them every year. <laughs> Sam, who's your player to watch here? Uh, mine my, my is Keston Hira. Um, Good one, yeah. Because, you know, at the end of 2019, I, I think we talked him up big time on the, on the last season, season preview. I was like, pretty stoked about him. Yeah, yeah, like this guy was the best rookie hitter in the league. He was better than, you know, Pete Alonzo. He was, you know, better than Fernando Tatis Jr. Like in his 80 game sample, he was the best rookie hitter in the in the league and you know of course there were worries in terms of like his 30 percent k rate 400 babip was not sustainable but i certainly didn't expect him to have an 87 wrc plus last year and strike out 35 percent of the time mm-hmm. he seemed to take big steps back he struck out a ton he didn't hit the ball very hard but again he did have when when he was able to get good barrels so his hard contact was sort of good hard contact um he's a free swinger uh he's not gonna walk as much as you'd like for a guy that strikes out as much as he does but i i still believe in the in the bat like i like it was a weird season i still think he he when he makes contact he's gonna crush it and i think yeah yeah i mean you know, we keep talking about our 2020 doesn't matter. Well, for Kesson Hira, it kind of does because it's he still hasn't had a full season's worth of games under his belt, right? Like, he's yeah, I mean, 143 it was, games now. It was close it was, to his, as many plague appearances last year as he had in his rookie season. Exactly. So it kind of does matter for him. But I think, Sam, to your point, like, if you just aggregate those two seasons, like, between the two seasons to make roughly 600 plate appearances... He has a 118 WRC plus. He hit 32 bombs. He scored 81 runs. He had 81 RBIs and he swiped 12 bags. Like there's for sure concern because his K rate is still 32%. His walk rate's only 7%. But he was touted as having amazing bat to ball skills. And I personally think it's more likely than not that he continues to develop rather than stays kind of quagmired. I could see it maybe not being this year, but I think in the long run, Kesson Hira has a spot in this league um, and, and can definitely be a, a very solid player. My player to watch is a member of that amazing bullpen, and that's Devin Williams. I just oh baby, Devin Williams last year had you know Josh Hader when he was extremely good for them in 2019. We were like, oh my god, is this the best? You know season ever for a reliever like no one touched him he caved like 60 straight guys well Devin Williams was like how about I just go out and in only 27 innings it's fine but I will K 17.67 guys per nine so I will K basically you know two guys per nine and, and I pitched a nine or three nine so um, I just K'd everybody. Uh, walk rate's a little high. ERA 
a FIP under one, an ex-FIP of basically one, and accrued as a reliever in 27 innings, 1.4 war last year. His stat cast data say 198th percentile on almost everything. Um, and unlike guys who are really, really good at missing bats, like Edwin Diaz, for example, as an extreme, when he's getting hit, it's actually not crazy hard contact because it's not that overpowering fastball that's really his bread and butter, although he does have it. He's sitting way above the league average. Um, it's his incredible, incredible changeup. And you just can't sit on a pitch that good. It's uh, Rob Friedman of Pitching Ninja has dubbed it the airbender. And I think that's an apt name because it just defies most laws of physics. Yeah, I saw something on Twitter today and I'm blanking on what pitcher it was, but the spin axis of his changeup, like most closely resembles, it was some left-handers curveball. Oh, really? That's crazy. Yeah, so, so I mean... What that means is like functionally what he's throwing is like a screwball. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly Uh, what that means. Which I guess he's basically throwing the only screwball in baseball right now. Like (laughs) as far as player to watch goes, like the airbender is the pitch to watch. It's, it's the pitch that I want to see every time it's thrown. So, oh yeah. So it's, that's a great it's arguably the best pitch in baseball in 2020. So I'm just absolutely stoked to do this. I guess since I keep giving you guys fantasy info, let me just say really quickly, be careful. If you want to draft him, he's going very, very high in draft site right now, but so is Josh Hader. And there's no question that they're going to give you good, uh, like count or, um, ratios, but it's unclear who's going to save games. Like Craig Council's fluid in there. And if you care about saves, I don't know if either of those guys is the right choice for you. But with that, Sam, I am now going to give you an empty carton of soap. I want you to stand on it. And I want you to tell the world why the Chicago Cubs, the Cubs, baby, why they're going to come out and win second place in this division with what I assume you expect to be not even close to a wild card berth. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know how comfortable I feel like getting on a soapbox and, and saying how good the Cubs are. Cause like, <laughs> I, I don't believe that. And I don't think they deserve that after their conduct this off season. Oh my um, God. But I mean, if I'm talking about what the strength of this team is, like, I think they have the best lineup in the division. Uh, like, Chris Bryant, Javi Baez, Jason Hayward, Anthony Rizzo. Like, those are all guys who are not very far removed from being all-star level hitters. And, like... Well, check your, check your stats on Chris Bryant before you say that. But for the rest of them, I agree. I mean, Chris Bryant... Like, let's talk about I guess, Chris Bryant. I guess Chris Bryant had a really strong 2019. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I think the Chris Bryant hate has gone too far. Because, like... If we, if we just talk about Chris Bryan's career stats, 2015, 136 WRC plus, 6 war. 2016, 148 WRC plus, 8 war, and he wins the MVP. 2017, 147 WRC plus, 6.7 war. Basically the same season as 2017, as 2016, his MVP season. 2018 is maybe a bit of a down season, but he still has a 126 WRC plus, two and a half war and only 100 games. 2019, a 135 WRC plus and close to five wins. So we're literally talking about Chris Bryant's bad now because he had a bad 150 plague appearances in 2020. 
No, I like, don't think that's I don't think that's what it is, Sam. But I, I appreciate you saying that because you're right to an extent. Like I think the hate that Chris Bryant gets is primarily because the expectations were so high. And while a lot of this is quite good, and he does have an well, he's got an MVP season, almost two seven WAR. But it's been three years now since he's been like uh, an elite player. And I think that's concerning to some people. He's still quite young, so he could get it back. But I do understand why people might look at him and be a little like unsure if they can even reach the five war of 2019 again. But I mean, if if he's a four win player, like that's fine. That's great. Like that's that's an all star. Yeah, and it's probably like the the third best position player in this league <laughs> in this division too. But and then it's a yeah. it's a similar thing with like Javi Baez. It's like we're we're writing him off because of a bad twenty twenty. Well, and then actually, Javi like Baez, Jason Hayward, Javi Baez is, is has serious concerns in his batted ball profile and always has. Javi Baez is that's fair, like a swing and miss machine. So I've always thought Javi Baez was due for aggression. And by the way, Javi Baez only has one really good season. He only has one season of one hundred and thirty one WRC plus. He only has two seasons over a hundred. Like Javi Baez, that, that that is not the same situation as Chris Bryant in my mind. Th- no, that that's totally fair. And and Javi Baez at his best was overrated. Like yes, pe- people people like the Flash, and the Flash is well, more he, there than the, the best hands in baseball, which is great. Yeah. The best tagger I mean, in the history of baseball, probably since no one knew it was a skill before he showed you. I guess the point I'm trying to make is there are a lot of like pedigreed good players on the Cubs like and other teams in the division just don't have a lineup that has the potential to be this good and deep um mm-hmm. and that's fair that's correct so that's that's why I like the that's why I sort of like them over the Brewers now it's totally fair if you want to then say well as as much as the Cubs have an advantage in their lineup, the Brewers have an advantage when it comes to pitching because behind Kyle Hendricks, the Cubs starting rotation is an absolute dumpster fire. And here's my biggest problem. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. And it is the fact that they traded you Darvish in this division is just so I feel like they're clear favorites if they keep him. Yeah. It's insane. It's utterly insane and indefensible. Their rotation, Sam, I want to talk about for a second because we all know I love Kyle Hendricks. We all know I'm a huge Kyle Hendricks fan. Here's the problem, though. Zach Davies, Alec Mills, their next two guys up are, and now, honestly, Arietta is the same guy. They're all the same pitcher. They're all soft-throwing duds who try to dart the corners. That is a great way to change looks when you go you Darvish, Kyle Hendricks. Oh, my God. We just saw you Darvish throw almost 100-mile-an-hour fastballs with nasty wipeout sliders. Now now Kyle Hendricks is going to dot us up? You can't see the same guy every game for the series and expect them all to pitch well. You you have to change speeds not just in a game but in a series. You've got to keep guys on their toes individually i don't like anyone besides kyle hendricks but as a rotation i hate this rotation i hate it far more than any other rotation in the league in the division in baseball no in the division i am no i so mean sorry. 
I mean, it's I prefer than, it over it's, the pirates. It's better than the pirates to rotation. Yeah, but I, mean, I prefer come it on. to the pirates. Um, but, but they're yeah, not a team. Is, this is scary, scary, scary to me. So, Sam, who are you watching on this team? There's actually a lot of guys that I, I'd like to watch on this team, but who are you kind of keeping an eye on, wondering what's going to happen with him this season? My player to watch is Jock Peterson. Uh, I knew you were going to do that. I literally would have bet a hundred dollars. <laughs> and I, I'm just, I'll always be a Jock Peterson apologist. Um, he is a guy who, when he faces right-handers, is a very good hitter. He's like a career 130 WRC plus hitter against right-handers. The problem has always been for him against that, left, there's also against, lefties that pitch in baseball. Yeah. The problem's always been that against lefties, he's been quite bad. Uh, like basically unplayable, you know, career, like sub 200 hitter. Um, I think is like a 58 career WRC plus against lefties. But here's the thing. Sometimes these platoon splits, especially when you're in on a team as good as the Dodgers, where the Dodgers just like had the luxury of like, we don't ever need to play Jock Peterson against lefties. Like we just have so much depth that we just don't need to. And I think in those situations, often like guys with big platoon splits, it can become a self-fulfilling prophecy where like when they're not getting playing time against lefties, they like feel like when they're facing a lefty, I have to do something against this guy to prove that I can face lefties. It adds pressure and then they like perform worse. I mean, this happened to like Conforto a lot early in his career when there was this narrative that he couldn't hit lefties. And when he was finally given the opportunity to be like, all right, like your playing time's not up for question against lefties. We're going to give you a chance to start against lefties. Like he started performing against lefties. And I'm not saying that's going to happen with Jock Peterson and he's going to become a crusher against lefties. But even if he could just improve a little and like get to, close to league average against lefties, which I think is possible. Like, I don't think he's, well, I'm not saying like he only has 385 career plate appearances against lefties. He really hasn't been given any chance against them. So I'm, I'm just excited. I'm not even saying he's going to do it, but I'm excited to just see him get a chance to play every day and see what he can be. I think that's a great point, Sam. And I will say that he, I, I'm not quite as optimistic. So I believe the premise of your argument 100%. Uh, and I definitely think he will improve. But he, you've seen him swing a bat. He is Ichiro levels bailing out of the box while he swings a lot of the time. and But with a totally different intent. And... It's just that in baseball today, very few righties throw changeups. So I think to look at this, I'd have to like actually try and get his numbers against like certain types of pitchers. But my feeling is that he's probably not good against a guy like Kyle Hendricks, who uses uh, you know a really good changeup, or Devin Williams. Not that anyone would be good against him, but I just am not sure he can hit breaking pitches that move away from him. I'm not sure he stays in the box long enough. And can he fix that? Yeah, maybe, but you know, he's a professional hitter who's been hitting that way for a long time. And I think it caps his ceiling against lefties a little bit. So I still worry about him, 
Um, but I definitely think you're right. A guy who is my player to watch, who is also a member of the outfield and who I believe has actually a much higher ceiling is Ian Happ. Ian Happ feels like that guy that we're just like waiting to break out over and over because he just seems to crush the ball sometimes. And he goes on these super hot stretches. Like 2020 was a really hot stretch for Ian Happ. You know, he had a 132 WRC plus. He had the a 128 WRC plus in 58 games in 2019. Like he goes on these really hot stretches where he's hitting the ball super hard, 89th percentile and hard hit. He's walking a good amount, 81st percentile walk. Um, he's always going to K, you know, he, that's just part of the profile, but it's not, um, un, it's not unworkable at 25 or 27. Now he has had flat flashes earlier in his career where he was over 30. And I believe for him, that is unworkable, but there's just a lot of upside here. He's a good hitter for sure. And right now in fantasy, people are taking him a little too high at 154, I think, because there's so much uncertainty. But boy, I'd love to see Ian Happ kind of break out. And it'd be great for the Cubs if Ian Happ breaks out like the way that we think he possibly could. He's probably the second or third best hitter on that team, depending on how Rizzo plays. And suddenly you're looking at like, you know, guys like Baez and Jock Peterson and Wilson Contreras as the low end hitters in that lineup. That's a that's a pretty good lineup. And I think they have a really good chance of winning the division if that's the case. Yeah, I I like Ian Happ a lot. I think that's that's definitely a good pick. And that yeah, we didn't even mention him earlier. Um but yeah, that that just speaks to my point about the Cubs, which is that like I, I really do think they have the best lineup in the division and like I think the concerns about the pitching are, are totally reasonable. Um, but it's just a, yeah, at the end of the day, it's just a question of like, how much do you prefer the Brewers pitching over the Cubs pitching as opposed to like the Cubs lineup over the Brewers lineup. Right. Um, but with that, let's go to the Reds who we both had sort of as the fourth team in the division. But again, I think they're going to be right, right in the, in the race. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what, what are your thoughts on the Reds? So for me, the Reds' big strength is that they really have a lot of young talent, and it's mostly centered around their pitching staff. So I love Luis Castillo. I love Sonny Gray. I think that's a legitimately formidable one-two punch at the top of any rotation in baseball. That's good. That is a playoff caliber one-two punch, I believe. Um, it is a little thinner. So Tyler Maley, that's the young talent. Like, how's he going to pitch this year? Is he going to find a way to break out? Is he going to be bad? Wade Miley is a huge question mark. And then after that, they're going to be mixing and matching. Um, but to be honest, like, there's just so many holes. Like Tucker Barnhart, a top framer in the league, but almost unplayable offensively. Joey Votto in, in continuous decline. Um, Kyle Farmer playing shortstop and a catcher who was converted to third base, who played a little second, who's now playing shortstop. I hate that. Eugenio Suarez, not a question mark. Um, Nick Cassiano, not a question mark. But then you have Jesse Winker and Nick Senzel. Are they going to be real lineup pieces? They both have the potential to be impactful major league players. But are they going to be that or I, are they really going to be, you know, kind of duds? I kind of like Jesse Winker. I've always liked Jesse Winker. He looks like Joey Votto liked, but he's never really been able to keep it up. And no. injuries haven't helped. Injuries really haven't helped because he's been kept out of games his whole career. But man, like 
last year was pretty good for him 146 wrc plus um the year before was kind of tough but it was 113 games 89 games in 2018 47 in 2017 i don't think the question is is he a productive major league hitter i think he walks at a high enough clip that he is since it's a a, a learned talent these days the question is can he stay on the field enough to really help this reds team kind of fight for a playoff spot yeah i i agree with your take on on the pitching staff i somehow like luis castillo still feels underrated like that guy is just so good he i mean he, i think, I he's think that's the- i i think that's fair if you value him as a top even 15 pitcher in baseball he's probably underrated yeah and I, I don't think there's really a question that he's a top 15 pitcher in baseball i think he's borderline top 10 um as far well, as zip I- as far as zip projections go He's projected yeah, sure. for twelfth for this year in war as far as uh steamer the bats projection. got him about the same. Steamer's as far got as him steamer about projection the same. goes, they have him as the sixth best projection going into the season. I mean the projection systems love him. The performance over the past two seasons is is really quite remarkable. Um strikes out the world, just a nasty changeup. So I feel like the Sonny Gray resurgence has sort of floated under the radar as well. Like mm-hmm. people wrote Sonny, Sonny Gray off as, as a reclamation project after the sort of failure with the Yankees, but he's really uh, had a renaissance, a career renaissance with the Reds and turned himself back into a really good pitcher. Obviously losing Trevor Bauer hurts uh, with Trevor Bauer. We're talking about one of the top, you know, one of the, maybe the best baseball, top yeah. three ro- in baseball or something. Um, but yeah, I agree. There are a lot of questions in the lineup and, you know, and, and there's just, they don't really have any like really good everyday players. I mean, maybe you could say Eugenio Suarez, maybe. Uh, I think between Nick Castellanos and Eugenio Suarez, they have something like one and a half very good everyday players. Yeah, I I think I I like Nick Castellanos a lot less than you. I'm a Castellanos. A lot of fan. a lot of people do. I'm fairly high on Castellanos, but a guy who I am very high on, um, and you just mentioned is Sonny Gray, and I just want to talk about him for a second because people really are not fair to this guy. Look at the, he's 31 years old, which is fairly young for pitchers these days who are learning um, to kind of come into themselves even later in their career. We're seeing a lot of age 31 breakouts recently, but he's 31 and he's not breaking out. In 2013, 2014, 2015, he went 267, 308, 273 in terms of ERA. The FIP was a little worse, but still quite good. And then 2016 was a blow-up year marred by injury. He gets traded in 2017 and is pitching pretty well. Then he plays in a binky box in 2018. Like, he just plays in the worst, you know, park in baseball with a ton of pressure on him because it's Yankee Stadium coming from Oakland where no one gives a crap. And he's not that good. So the Yankees get rid of him in the cutthroat fashion that made him uncomfortable in the first place. And he absolutely dominates in the quieter setting of Cincinnati in 2019 and was good last year. Not great, but good last year. It's just, this guy's just good. This guy's just a very solid, good pitcher, a guy you're happy with at two, you're thrilled with at three. And he's going to put those numbers up this year 
barring injury, I, I feel very, very confident about it. Yeah, I agree. Sonny Gray is a, a guy you're, you're ecstatic to write in in the number two slot in your starting rotation. Um, is he, I take it he was your player to watch? He is my player to watch. Yeah, yeah. that's what I mentioned. And fantasy-wise, he's going, you know, not low on the chopping block by any means. His average ADP is at 68, but I do prefer him over Max Freed, who's going a pick before him, and I prefer him over Carrasco, who's going a pick after him. So, I mean, I, I if you're around there and you need pitching and you need a little bit of stability, people don't think of him that way, but I find him pretty stable. I think you can truly pencil him in for a 350 ERA, about a 9.5% to 10% uh, K rate. His whip is going to be about 110. Um, and he's going to probably log 160 innings for you. You know, injury is a bit of a concern, but I don't think it's more for him than any other pitcher in baseball right now. So that's where I'm at on, uh, on All right, I, our I, boy. I like it. My, my player to watch is, and if the Reds want to win the division, they're going to need like some position player to break out. Right. My, I'm not saying he's going to break out, but one candidate for that is Nick Senzel. Uh, he's still only 25. We're talking about a guy who's had pretty disastrous results in his brief time in the majors. We're talking about less than 500 total plague appearances, but it's an 84 WRC plus over those 500 plague appearances. But he was a top 10 prospect in baseball when he got called up. And like, there's still a lot to like in the profile. He's 97th percentile in sprint speed. Uh, he doesn't hit the ball tremendously hard, uh, but he also doesn't strike out a ton, walks a defensible amount. Um, and yeah, I mean, he's actually, a, I think, a similar guy to Harrison Bader in that mm-hmm. like, he, he actually like puts the ball in the air a lot for a guy who doesn't necessarily like have a lot of power and uh, has so much sprint speed, but he, he has a bigger trait than Harrison Bader, which is that like, he does make much more contact than Harrison Bader. So like if, again, if he can sort of maybe change his approach a little to make contact, that's more favorable to, you know, getting on base, maybe work a few more walks. I think the speed could play up. And also like the speed is, is good enough that, I think defensively, the, the, the stats haven't loved him. They've thought he's been about average, but I think He'll the biggest, right. uh, yeah, the, the biggest uh, drawback as far as outs above average sees is that he's, he's not been great in terms of his reaction time when the ball's hit. But that's actually, that's something you can definitely work on. And if, if he can get that to average or something, the speed could play, play up enough to make him a really good, I think, defensive center, center fielder. That's definitely like, he has the talent to do that. So, you know, Nick Senzel, let's not, let's not quit on him yet is all I'm saying. Nick Senzel is super interesting. And I'm so glad you brought him up because he is like, he's a case study almost. I feel like in understanding future value and like trying to wait with players, because as you mentioned, He's been atrocious at the major league level so far, but he's a 60 future value prospect, which is very high. 
And when you look at his batted ball profile, to me, I see a guy who in a very limited sample size, admittedly, is trying to figure out what he wants to do. So one year, you know, one set of uh, 200 uh, plate appearances or so, he barrels the ball 8%, uh, but, you know, doesn't really hit a line drives as much and, and grounds out a lot. And then he stops grounding out and turns them almost all into line drives. 2019, he had a 23.3 fly ball percentage, a 23 point, uh, or a 7.3 pop-up percentage. In 2020, he has an identical fly ball percentage and a slightly smaller pop-up percentage. And all of his ground balls go to line drives. He goes to 40% ground ball and 32% line drives. But his barrels drop to 4% which tells me that he went from a guy who was trying to absolutely destroy the ball out of the park to a guy who was trying to slap it around a little bit more. And I don't, I just don't think he's found his fit in the major leagues yet, but he clearly has the tools to totally change up his swing profile year to year um, and not see results yet, but he saw him in the minors. He was highly touted. I definitely think there's a possibility here, and he is a great candidate for a breakout offensive player to help try and carry that lineup this year. So that's the Reds. Now let's talk about the Pirates. I mean, it's not pretty. They don't have a ton. The pitching is atrocious after having traded away Musgrove and Tyon. Um, they they could have maybe the worst starting five in the majors. Maybe the Orioles. I think I, I think they do. No, I think this is worse than the Orioles. Yeah. The Orioles have upside. There's absolutely zero upside on this rotation. Yeah, it's really, really bad. Um, Mitch Keller, maybe. So the 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 lineup is it's certainly not good, but I think there are a few more things to be excited about in the lineup. If you're, uh, if you're a Pirates fan, you know, Brian Reynolds had an exciting rookie year. Uh, Todd Frazier. Oh, of course, the the Todd father. The Todd father. Uh, but Br- Brian Reynolds had a really exciting rookie year, one thirty WRC plus, and really a full season. Took a huge step back last year, 72 WRC plus in 200 plague appearances. But, you know, I still think the rookie year is enough to be still interested in him about. Although he was, he did sort of come out of totally nowhere. Um, Colin Moran sort of finally looked like something at the major league level last year. 10 home runs and 200 plague appearances, a 113 WRC plus. Nothing. Nothing spectacular, but someone who looked like he belonged at the major league level. And then my player to watch, and I think the the real reason that every Pirates fan has to be excited is I'm their, sure this is my player to watch as well. Yeah, is is I think a man who could be their third baseman for many years to come, and that's Cabrian Hayes, who in a very limited ninety five plate appearances last year, uh had a 376, 442, 682 slash line to the tune of a 195 WRC plus. Now he also had a 450, uh, a 450 BABIP. Uh, certainly was getting pretty lucky, but he looks like 
you know, he's got all the tools. He's got good power, good hit tool. Looks like he's going to be a tremendous defensive third baseman as well. Um, and could, you know, it's definitely up there with one of the favorites for the National League Rookie of the Year this year. This kid's an absolute stud, and he's my player to watch. Uh, don't forget, his father is ex-Yankee, very good player, Charlie Hayes. Um, and sure, <laughs> that 450 BABIP is insane, right? Like, it's unsustainable, but so is the 376 batting average. Like, if, he's, if we thought he might hit 376 this year, then we would just induct him into the Hall of Fame and get it over with, right? So take note that the projections are kind of low on him. 15 bombs, 70, 70 on runs, RBIs, roughly close to 10 bags, but only a 270 batting average. For me, I think if anything, as he matures into a player, so not necessarily this year, but as he matures throughout his career, if anything, those homers might go down a bit, but one way or another, that average will come up. His bat-to-ball skills are tree tremendous he's going to find a way his k rate is pretty low his walk rate is pretty high this is a guy whose floor is is very very high there is almost no outcome where he is not a major league player consistently for the next you know five to eight years um because he walks at that high clip because he k's at a low clip and because his fielding is tremendous plus there's plenty of skills and i mentioned previously that senzel's a 60 future value prospect so's could brian hayes this may sound repetitive but these are the top of the top luis robert is a 60 future value prospect kyle tucker is a 60 future value prospect these guys don't always pan out but most of the guys who do pan out have these type of profiles and I think an interesting counterpoint is luis castillo who's only 45 but of course you're going to get you know variation there I'm so high on Cabrian Hayes. And in your drafts, guys, he's going, he's, he's going, you know, he's going 149 just in front of Jorge Soler. But I'm not mad if you, if you take him there. <laughs> like, he's pretty good. I like him better than Joe Musgrove, you know, different positions, obviously, but I like him better than Will Myers even, uh, or about the same with the uncertainty, and he's 40 picks higher. So, um, this is a guy who just do your research and see what you think. But for me, Sam, and I know you feel the same way. I, I am legitimately stoked to watch Brian Hayes this year, as much as I don't want to watch the rest of the pirates lineup. Yeah. All right. Well, that, uh, that concludes our NL central division preview, but before we sign off and I, and I'm, I'm getting in there fast before Aaron can forget, we're going to do over unders. Uh, <laughs> So the Cardinals over under is at 86 and a half. So I have them winning the division. I think they're over that. Yeah. I'm also going to go over on the Cardinals. Like again, if they win the division with 86 games, that would be pretty crazy. Um, the Brewers are at 82 and a half. I'm going to take over too. I think like, 90 to 92 for the cards 83 or four for the brewers 81 or two for the cubs which is the next one yeah i'm gonna go under on the brewers i think the luck finally runs out yeah Uh, i know you're hoping the cubs are actually at a 78 and a half line 
Well, so I go over on them also, which means I think I'm going to fade the Reds and feel bad about it. Yeah, so I'm going over on the Cubs. I, I think they'll they'll inch their way above 500. Um, Me too. The Reds are actually projected the same as the Brewers at 82 and a half. I got to go under. Yeah, I'm going to go under on the Reds as well. And then the Pirates are 58 and a half. Christ, why do they do this to us with the yeah. bad teams? I got to go over that 58. Uh, no, no. Their rotation is so historically bad. At the end of the day, I just don't think they're going to get anybody out. All 50, 50 what? 58 and a half. I'll take under and hope they win 57 games. I'm going to go over on the Pirates. Like I think the lineup is good enough. Is that good they'll, enough. Have, they'll have some games where they, you know, they they stumble their way into some into some bombs and win. Well, win obviously games. they're gonna have some. The question is, are they gonna have yeah. more than fifty eight and a half? Um, boy, I mean, that's the tough. other the other thing to consider is like they are in a very bad division. So like they are they're gonna have an easier go go of it than say the Orioles who have to play, you know, four much better teams. Right. Like, are you who do you really favor in the starting pitcher matchup between? Uh, you know, Zach Davies and Adbert Alzale. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, they, yeah, I, I see your point there. So um, I like that. And look, guys, if you're an NL Central fan, this just isn't your year. And take it from an NL West guy who's used to SportsCenter calling the NL West the GOAT rodeo as a derogatory term that nobody understands. Okay, I get what it's like, but you just have to eat the pill this year. Your division is going to make baseball mad because one deserving team in the National League, at least, is not going to get it. And it's going to be because some crappy team in your division, Cardinals aren't that bad, but is going to make the playoffs. And that's okay. So we got this one out of the way. The last three divisions left, we're going to remind you guys. And again, we're going to keep secret what we do next week. But the last three divisions are the AL Central, the AL West, and the NL East. So we have those in our back pocket and we'll be coming to you next week with the next update. Maybe we'll even give you some super early spring training takes. Who knows? But for that, guys, stay on spring training. Watch what's going on. Don't care too much about the stats, but watch the trends. Our guys who were previously hurt, are they throwing did you see, enough? Uh, did you see Stroman's new split change? Looks I'm nasty. so high on Stroman this year. It's insane, Sam. I am through the roof first on First round? Guy. First round in your draft? you don't even want to hear what's going in the first hour of my draft. <laughs> um, but yeah, stay up, see, see what guys are doing and just start to get stoked. The weather's warming up. The, uh, the balls are flying and we are getting ready to play ball. So with that bright and optimistic picture, we're going to sign off for the night. And for the Alonzo bet, we've been your hosts. I'm Aaron. And I'm Sam. Have a good night, folks. <laughs> <laughs>